chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Ephek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? They said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. King James Version says, Let's fetch the Ark of the Covenant. So we go fetch the Ark. If we carry in the battle with us, it'll save us from our enemies. This morning, I want to speak on this topic for just a little while for those of you here and those of you tuning in online. That is when glory departs. Jesus, thank you, God, for who you are. You're great, greatly to be praised. You're worthy of all praise. Father, we trust you. We praise you. We lift you up. We are thankful, Lord God, that we can serve you and that you see every aspect of our lives and you walk with us on this journey and you lead us. God, let our hearts and minds be open. Please help me not to get in the way of the word that you've given me, that you would speak through me, and that it would be received by the men and women, Lord God, in this place and online today. In Jesus' name, amen. The nation of Israel knew the glory of God's presence among them. They had seen and experienced so many, so many miraculous things in their history. The children of Israel had prospered. They had become mighty. I mean, you look back, they had seen just thing after thing after thing of God's miraculous provision and deliverance. And, but then they, they started making wrong and poor choices. Well, the Bible calls Satan the great deceiver. Now, follow with me because it can get could get confusing here, but to be deceived means to be led away from truth without knowing it. Now, if people being deceived actually knew they were being deceived, then it wouldn't be deception. Okay? One must believe that one is not being deceived in order to be deceived. Follow that? So... They got so accustomed to living in deception, just thinking that they were okay. Well, we used to be powerful. We're the people of God. God delivered us. He brought us out. We're fine. We're going to be fine. God's moved in my past. Let me tell you stories. I'll get up and testify about what God's done in my life in the past. But eventually, they came to the place where the presence of God was no longer among them. The glory of God that dwelt between the wings of that cherubim, this was the most sacred piece of furniture in their history because God said between the wings of the cherubim, that's, that's the Ark of the Covenant, that seat was the mercy seat. They would pour blood there, and God said, I would dwell in there, and the fullness of God could be in that little place, but yet everywhere present at the same time. And so this was such an important box, such an important piece of furniture, that God would dwell right there. But God's glory would be among them, and when the high priest would meet, they, the people couldn't go in, but they could stand on the outside of the tabernacle, and they could look up, and there'd be a glory cloud above that tent of meeting, and there'd be a pillar of fire above that tent of meeting, and it would say, God would say, my glory's in this place right now. And so they just got used to it. It was there all the time. But now this, this Ark of the Covenant is going to depart and the glory of God 
is going to leave, but they just got so used to him being there. And one of the saddest scriptures, there's probably a lot of great scriptures in the Bible, there's a lot of sad ones, but one of the saddest scriptures, in my opinion, in the Bible, is years before this time, there's a man named Samson. And Samson was a judge, and he was in the state of mind thinking he was okay because he once lived in covenant with God. God used Samson to do some powerful stuff, but Samson started making poor decisions. God said, you're going to be in covenant with me. There's certain things I expect of you. And Samson was just powerful. He was ripping lions apart with his bare hands. Like Samson was like the UFC fighter before UFC was around, okay? Like Samson was, Wah! you know, just a, just a, just a, this guy's a fighter. He's a warrior. And, but he started walking away from covenant and visiting Delilah and going and visiting this Philistine woman. And in Judges 16.20 says, she cries out at one time and says, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he said, well, I'm just going to do as before and shake myself free. And scripture says, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Imagine the terror when he just jumps up and the enemies are there. He'd break ropes and cords and chains. It was nothing for him. Imagine the terror when he jumps up and all of a sudden, oh no. This whole time I had been relying on my own strength, not realizing. I used to recognize the glory of God working in my life. But I took it for granted and I didn't even know the moment that it left. God help the church. God help the church. That we never get to the point that we call upon the name of the Lord expecting power and finding out that his power has left because we stopped focusing on the glory. Things for Israel, they continued on this downward spiral. This type of attitude infiltrated God's people. One where they thought that they had a premium on God's glory. I'm an Israelite. I'm called by God. We live in covenant. We're the ones that he parted the Red Sea for. He knocked down the walls of Jericho. There's no issue. We, 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 got all of, we, don't, have, we don't need anything. We're, we're set. But then uh, you look later, and a man, a young boy named Josiah, he gets put on the throne, and in 2 Chronicles 34 tells us while they were bringing out money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the court secretary, yeah, I found the book of law in the Lord's temple. And then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan, and eventually it's read out loud to the people. Now, before we just Glow over that. Let's stop and say, what just took place right there? Do you realize what just happened right there? The word of God got lost in the house of God. How does the word of God get lost in the house of God? How many messages have we heard preached from this pulpit? Not just from me. I've sat there and heard them preached too from other people. How many messages have we heard preached where the word of God goes forth, but somewhere between us and our ears and our actions as we leave, the word of God get, gets lost. 
How does the word of God in that time get lost? This was the law that God gave Moses. They were supposed to be reading it, teaching it to their children, hiding it in their heart. But the word of God got lost because at some point, someone... God gave them the law. Moses came down with the law. It wasn't just 10 commandments. It was 613 different commands. And, and God gave them the law. And you read the, the stuff that we just kind of breeze over in Leviticus. You know, you do your chart, Bible chart reading and you get to Leviticus. You're like, oh boy, here we go. But that was stuff that was, he was teaching his people how to be a family, how to be a nation, how to be in ministry, how to worship. All those things were so crucial. And they were supposed to be reading these out loud and studying them and teaching them to their children. But somewhere along the line, someone no longer made it a priority. The book of law got put up on a shelf. And then somebody else stacked something on it. Anybody have a workbench in their garage? Okay. I built one. By the way, I'm super proud of that because I'm not really a hands-on guy. I built that thing by myself. I was, man, I got this workbench. It's nice, and I got a workbench. I don't do too much work on it, but I thought it would be cool to have a workbench. I got my tools all organized up here. But uh, I love my wife and my children. But to them, my workbench is a storage table. And I'm surprised because the house that she comes out of, her dad would have never let that happen. You ever go work with Arthur, you hand him a wrench, he's like, put that wrench back in that. Spot. Okay, yeah. Nope, turn it the other way. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's, you, you got to know what's up, work with Arthur. And, uh, and so I come out all the time. I'll, I, I mean, there's stuff I literally cannot keep up. It, there's stuff stacked there all the time. Where's this? Where's it? Oh, I just set it on the workbench. Where does it? Well, do you, do you need that carried out? No, I just put it on the workbench. <laughs> kind of reminds me, like, the book of law, did it get put on the workbench? And all of a sudden, before you know it, somebody stacks something on it and stacks something on it, and until one day, years later, they're carrying stuff out. Oh, Hey! Hey, there's a book of law. Here's God's word. When we were supposed to be reading this, what, who put this here? How long has this been here? And when parents don't see the value in the word of God, children will no longer see the value in the word of God. And when the children of God don't place value on the word of God and the glory of God, it's just a matter of time before it departs. And you read on in verse 4, so they went to Shiloh to fetch, to fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord of heaven's armies, who's enthroned between the wings of the cherubim. And Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest, had two sons who served in the Levitical priesthood. They were also there with the ark of the covenant. Of God. And when the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, they had just lost 4,000 people. So go fetch the Ark. All right, somebody go grab God. Why were they in a battle without God in the first place? You see, when you see God do so many things in your life, if you're not careful, you go into the next battle and think you can just do it without Him. 
And so now 4,000 men are dead. Whoa, we forgot something. Someone go grab God. So they run. Half time, Phineas, come on, come on. Let's up. Woo! Then the party starts. We're back. And they just start shouting, and they start, there was such a shout of joy that it made the ground shake, all right? So imagine, hop down, Phineas, come on, uh, uh, just go ahead, shout with me, pretend I'm carrying this back in. That was weak, that wouldn't have done anything. Like, you guys just lost 4,000 of your friends, they're laying dead on the ground, and all of a sudden the Ark of the Covenant comes rolling in, you're... And the ground starts shaking so much that in verse 6, the Philistines are going, what's going on? What's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? And they were told, hey, they got the ark of the Lord now that's there. And, and the Philistines panicked because they knew, they knew what it represented. The gods have come into their camp, they said. This is a disaster. We haven't faced anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from the mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed even the Philistines knew Israel's history. They were the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues. And when Israel was in the wilderness, fight! Fight as never before. Is Philistines, if you don't, we're going to become the Hebrew slaves. Stand up and fight like men. And the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. But instead of losing 4,000, this time they lost 30,000. The survivors turned and fled to their tents in a desperate attempt to win a battle that they left God behind on. They said, they, let's go fetch God. They, fa they, they, they fell to the Philistine army. The leaders actually believed if we grab the piece of furniture where God meets with us, it doesn't matter what we do or how we live. If we grab the piece of furniture, then God is obligated to respond to us. You know, in pastoring over 12 years now, Sad, but yet amazing how many people still think this way. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant. We don't offer animal sacrifice. We don't do the things they did in the Old Testament. But how many people that live however they want will show up on Sunday and say, what's the deal with God? I came to the altar. I prayed he ain't answered my prayer. I thought if I showed up here, then God would just do what I want him to do. Turns out, The Israelites ran to fetch that ark. But God did not fight for Israel that day. Israel was defeated in the Philistines' triumph. They even took the Ark of the Covenant, which was that most precious piece of furniture in Israelite history. The Ark represented the power, presence, and glory of God. But can I tell you something? The Ark being captured by the Philistines was not reason for the glory to depart. It was the manifestation of the glory departing. The glory had already departed. That's why even with the ark there, it became a piece of furniture because they weren't living in covenant. 
they left covenant, they disobeyed, they disregarded God's command and principle. So they thought, well, the glory departed when the ark got carried out. But no, the ark was there in the battle, and they still lost. That was just the outward, the outward manifestation of what had already gone on inside. And that's why today... If you're here, you might notice as a guest, well, people, they, they dress different, they act different, they carry themselves different on the outside. That's because we believe scripturally that there are guidelines for even our external appearance. And that is an outward manifestation of what is going on inside. Now, no one's going to come up and say, you need to do this. If you want to be a part of here, you got to look this way, act this way, dress this way, don't talk. Nobody does that because it's between you and God, your conviction, your consecration. God's going to lead you in all things. Everyone's on a different part of this journey, and there's things right now that you're doing or taking part in that a couple years from now, God keeps working in your life. You're going to find out, hey, I think it's time for me to change this or get rid of this or add this or do this. It's a beautiful thing, this, this process called sanctification and holiness. But you see, what we see on the outside is just the outward manifestation of what's already going on in the inside. This is why when you see someone who used to live a consecrated and separated life, all of a sudden they make drastic changes to their external appearance. And apparently, they instantly remove consecrations they once held near and dear. There is really nothing instant about it. You know, uh, anyone ever see that where you're, you see a friend or you're somebody close to you or somebody in church leadership or you're scrolling Facebook and you're like, whoa, what happened to that person? And you don't mean it judgmental. You don't mean you're just, they just look totally different and, and, and they don't have that same smile that they used to have. And, and you go, whoa, what happened to this person? I, I, it's, what, it happened overnight. I don't, anybody ever have anyone in your life that you look at and say, I don't know, I don't know what happened? And to us, it's like it's, it's so instant because now all of a sudden you see them living one way and boom, there it is. It's, it's drastic. It looks different. But really, there's nothing instant about it. It's simply the outward manifestation of what's already been going on inside. And I find it interesting. I'm not talking to every single person. If you're here and you say, well, I've never really lived this certain way or had these consecrations you're talking about. I've never really uh, even worried about the external appearance. I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to force you in anything. I'm speaking specifically to the people who lived this way and lived in consecration and held these convictions and they did these things and then all of a sudden they said, I'm done, I'm out, I'm letting all of it go. That's the person I'm talking to. But I find it interesting that one of the first things that an apostolic woman will do, because apostolic women, a lot of times, when, even when it comes to their hair, they will allow it to grow long and uncut. One of the first things that an apostolic woman will do when she walks away from a lifestyle of consecrated faith is she will immediately cut her hair. And guess what the Bible itself calls her hair. 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen says, but if a woman have long hair, that word in Greek means uncut. It is a glory to her. 
So scripturally, this is not me, this is not my organization, religion, tradition. Scripturally, a woman's hair is her glory. But when the heart is not right and someone who says, again, I'm not talking to the person who says, I've never done this. I'm talking to someone who lived this way, consecrated, committed, said, this is something I want to live. I've seen it in the word. And now I'm walking away from it. I, I'm letting go. I don't no longer see it. I no, no longer want to be a part of it. That's the person I'm talking to. One of the first things that she will do when she leaves a consecrated life of faith is get rid of that glory. After the Ark of the Covenant is taken, a messenger returns from the battlefield with sad news for the high priest Eli. 1 Samuel 4.11, the Ark of God was captured and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin runs from the battlefield, arrives at Shiloh later that day. He had his torn clothes and put dust in his head as a sign of grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the, the, the ark of God, the safety of the ark of God. Isn't it interesting? We can go through things in life. We can go through challenges and tribulations and trials and, and tests. And we can say, I really don't want this to happen. God, where? But when our hearts are right and when we're walking with God, we don't tremble with fear. There's something in this. We say, I don't like what's going on. I don't like the way this looks right now. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I trust you. But when something's not right, you're standing on the edge of the road trembling with fear. Eli knew something wasn't right. But I do find this concerning because here his sons are about to die. They're in a battle. And tell me, I get it. The Ark of the Covenant is where God met with the people. It was the most important piece of furniture in Israel's history. I get it. But if, if, if it's you who has kids, if they're off in a battle... And you heard about thousands of people who have already died. You're standing on the edge of the road. What is your number one concern at that moment? Show me where in Scripture that Eli is concerned about his boys. Well, he's the high priest. He's responsible for the spirituality of Israel, of the nation. Listen, I don't care how far you go in ministry, what your title is, how many years you've served, what kind of conferences you preach, what kind of things you sing at. The moment that we start to get more concerned about the ministry aspect than our children, we're lost. And they will be lost too. Where's the ark? What's going on with the ark? Hey, what about Hophni and Phineas? I mean, do we, do we not even, how are my boys? Where are they at? I want you to know, if, if there's a battle, my first thing, I love ministry, but this does not mean even close to Jude and Titus. I say that because it's two boys, Kira, of course, also. But Jude, Titus, Kira, if, if, if Jude and Titus were off fighting a battle... I'd have been standing on the road and somebody comes up before they even got to me. I'd have said, where's Jude and Titus? Have you guys seen them? Are they all right? There was a reason why the culture of the home was such. I'll never put my kids 
on the altar of sacrifice to ministry. And he says, so Eli's waiting for the safety of the ark of the God. The messenger arrived, and, and what, in verse 14, what's all the noise about Eli? Asked the messenger, rushed over to Eli, who was 99 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I just came from the battlefield. I was there this very day. He says, what happened, my son? He didn't say what happened to my son. He said, what happened, my son? Israel's been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied, and the people have been slaughtered. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. They're killed. Oh, and the ark of God, ark of God was captured too. And notice what the writer says. The writer clarifies when the messenger mentioned that happened, what happened to the ark of God. It was not his boys. It was not his sons. Scripturally, he says, when he mentioned what happened to the ark of God, he fell over backwards from his seat. He broke his neck. He died for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. And in a moment, in one split second, two full generations of spiritual leadership were apparently gone in one moment. But I want you to see, understand, and remember something. Their fall did not happen on that day. Literal and figurative fall. Their fall did not happen on that day. That was the manifestation of what had already been in process for a long time. If we're not careful, we just keep doing the same things thinking we're fine. Go fetch the ark. Let's get back to Sunday service. God always moves there. I just need to get to an altar. I haven't been there in a long time, but every time I go, I just pray and cry and God forgives me and I'm looking forward to getting back. I need to get back to church. It's been, it's been too long. careful. We stand up one day in chains of bondage like Samson. God, uh, I got myself in a bind again. I know you've done it, but can you get me free again one more time? Uh-oh. I didn't realize, but sometime between my last altar call and today, the glory of God departed. See, it didn't happen that day. When a man or a woman of God falls, it's because somewhere along the line, they stopped placing value on the glory of God. Somewhere along the line, God became something that we just went and fetched when we needed something. And then there comes a day where the actual fall occurs. And we say, I don't know how that happened. It's already been happening for quite some time. It always starts, you, just like Adam and Eve. Man, they ate the, the fruit of the tree. And... No, it starts, every fall starts with a conversation at a tree that we don't belong having. Eli and his sons knew about placing value on the glory of God. How does someone who knows better fall that far? No doubt, we know someone. We've raised, yep, we know someone who's backslid, fell, walked away from God. How does that happen? Just remember, deception is not deception if you know it's deception. This is why Paul writes a letter to the church, not to strangers, to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 6, 7, he starts to the church, he says, be not deceived. 
Well, why are you talking to us? We're the church. We don't get deceived. That's the world. Let's pray for the people who are getting deceived out there. Paul says, no, I'm talking to the church. Don't be deceived because the church even gets deceived. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man, a person sows, that will we also reap. Deception says, I can stay on my current path. I have testimonies. I still serve in ministry. Matter of fact, I'm the high priest. I'm the judge of Israel. I can keep going just like I've always gone. I can keep looking at it whatever I want, listening to whatever I want, wearing whatever I want, doing whatever I want. I can keep doing it all. I can keep purchasing whatever I want, shooting up whatever I want, drinking whatever I want. I can keep doing it all because I know if I need to, I'll run to an altar. I'll go fetch God. He'll get me out of this mess, and I know things will be fine. But Paul says, church, don't be deceived. He says, you will eventually become the result of the daily choices you do or do not make. You're going to reap what you sow. This is not a hard or hateful message. This is a message where God, like Paul writes to the church, he's trying to get the church's attention to say, don't be deceived. But it's hard when a person starts to get deceived because they can see deception in other people's lives. But it's very difficult to, to admit deception in your own life. Eli thought because he was the high priest. His sons were next in line. That he could sow whatever he wanted. And he'll still reap a blessing. He was wrong. Like Samson, God's glory had departed, and he had not yet even realized it. But now look what happens at the wife of Phineas. Verse 19, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant near the time of delivery, and she heard that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law and husband were dead, and had sent her into labor. And she died in childbirth. But before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage, don't be afraid. They said, you got a baby boy. She didn't answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory or the glory has departed. You understand it's different naming someone back then. Today, pregnant. Go to Barnes and Noble. Look online. Top 100 names of 2020. And we just scroll through. We're like, nope, no. Who names their kid that? Oh, uh, well, we could name him that. Well, no, that's Sue's son. That's Tim's. That's Todd. That's Joey's. That, no, we can't name, no. Oh, no, I went to school with a person with that name. Oh, Lord, I'm not naming my kid that. You know, so we go through, and that's all it is. Back then, you received your name, and your name was the definition of who you were. It didn't just dictate who you were as a person, but it kind of dictated your future. Je Jesus, Jehovah, Old Testament God, has become our salvation. Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, father of many nations. That a name was everything. So this poor little boy, his mom in her death, in giving birth, name him Ichabod, the glories departed. 
moment that should have been a time of great joy was instead a time of great sorrow. She gives birth to a son, names him Ichabod. There's no glory. Glory has departed. There's no more dangerous condition for humankind to know truth and refuse to obey it. I just can't get away from this, this concept that I just feel like there's someone here or watching online that you're just coasting. You're just doing the same things and you're just assuming you're fine because you've always been fine to this point. God loves you so much that he will pause this right now and try to get your attention again and say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Right now, the Lord of heaven who gave his life for your sins is reaching out very specifically to an individual right now and trying to get your attention and saying, you're living in deception. You are not okay. It is time to repent. Because truth, it's dangerous to know it and refuse to obey. To have the word and lose it, it's because you no longer spend time. To take the glory of God for granted and say, well, just go fetch it. I need it back here. That's not the way we can live. When we know the truth and refuse to obey it, we are now subject to any lie, to any deception. The greatest protection from deception is loving truth. Man, that's a good word. That's a good tweet right there. The greatest protection from deception is loving truth. This is why the wisdom of the proverb says, Proverbs 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Now I know all of us, we buy things. You know, you, you can act like you're holier than thou, but you look at friends and family and neighbors and coworkers, and they buy stuff. And you're like, why are they buying that? I bet you they're in debt. That was a stupid person. She's always got new shoes. She's always got new clothes. That guy just buys cars. Like, you know, we, we got all these little judgmental comments. The truth of the matter is we all spend our money on what we value. For one person, they can buy purses. The next person buys all the new iPhones. The next person... A couple weird people buy Androids. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's just like, you know, people buy, everybody does their own things. I'm not going to judge you. I'll, I might judge that purchase. But, but other than that, I don't really judge. You know, somebody go buys a brand new Corvette. Well, why do you need a Corvette? Who cares why he needs a Corvette? It's his money. Let him spend it however he wants. If he wants to drive a Corvette, if he's $300,000 in debt, he's being stupid. You can't do anything about it. Just let it go. But no matter what we do, not everybody that owns a Corvette's $300,000 in debt. I'll tell you that, okay? But not everything, the truth matters, no matter what you buy, no matter what you purchase. You guys just came back from Midwest Youth Convention. Any of your families give you some money to take? Did you spend it all or did you bring it back to them? Because if you brought it back to them, you're crazy. Why did you not spend it all? <laughs> Except for Kiera, where's she at? She needs, <laughs> she, she left. <laughs> well, even on that, you have this money that you have to decide, okay, do I want the snow cone? Do I not? Do I want a double cheeseburger? Should I stick with a single? Do I want to get custard after my dessert or am I going to have a money? For you, 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 put, you place value on purchases because at the end of the day, you buy what, something that you value. Even if it's a waste of money, you say, I value this. I value it. And so, you don't rent truth. You don't borrow truth. It's not like a library. I'm going to go borrow truth. It was a good service. I'm going to return it in two weeks. He says, buy the truth 
and sell it not. There are certain things that we make a purchase with. It took sacrifice, and we understand. They say, I buy it, I embrace it. That buy, it means to embrace. It means to wrap our hands around, to get it. I want to buy the truth. I want to acquire it. I want to possess it and not ever let it go. See, when we buy something, we do it because we put value. The glory of God, I believe it. It's in this place. We felt it last night. We felt it today. But we must never take it lightly. Last night we were standing there, and I'll never forget, many of you heard this story, that song that they sing, holy, wonderful, marvelous, glorious, omnipotent. I don't sing for a reason. But I did sing in a choir to her. My junior year when I was 17 years old, and I didn't sing because I was a great singer. I loved singing. I did it to get out of class because I wanted to talk to girls. That's the way it was. But God got a hold of me on that choir tour. And I raised my hands up, and I started weeping and crying, and I prayed through it. And I went to the back of that church when everybody else went downstairs to eat, and I stayed in that church by myself. And God spoke to me as a 17-year-old, and he said, it's time to get your priorities straight. And I came back to school, told the principal I wanted to preach my first chapel service. He thought I was nuts. You preach? Yeah. And thank God he believed in me, gave me a chance. And my first message was entitled Priorities. But they were singing it. And every time I hear that song, I'll never not, I'll never not hear that song and think back to that night. Because that is what we were singing when God got a major hold of my life. So today and last night we're singing, I have my honor raised. And God spoke to me last night and he said... Are you still pursuing my glory as the time when you were when you were 17 and sang this song? Granted, I mean, like, look, we've come a long way. I now pastor a church. The district's voted me into a position. Certainly, I'm a little more financially stable than I was at 17. Everything seems like, oh, yeah, on the outside, bull, good, yes, man of God. But that took me back to the 17-year-old that stood on that choir riser in a little church in Wisconsin. And God spoke last night and he said, are you still in pursuit of my glory the same way you were when I got a hold of you at 17? Man, I just stood there. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Last night into this morning, my morning prayers, I was walking around this sanctuary. I ask you the same question. No doubt you've had an experience with Jesus Christ. You've prayed in your car, at your bedside, at this altar, an altar like this one. You've heard messages. You've had dreams. You've made promises to God about what you would do, what you wouldn't do, the life you live, the dreams you have. Are you still pursuing the glory of God? Are you still in pursuit of hearing the voice of God, of seeing the dreams that he once gave you come to fruition? After Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas all die, Ichabod's born, his own mother's in mourning, not excited, even excited for her own son, and she's about to die. She says, just name him Ichabod. God's glory's departed. Doesn't seem too much hope for the future, does it? Yeah. The high priest just died. The next line of high priest just died. His wife died, and we just had a baby named the glory's departed. That was all over social media that day. 
All the information's out. Did you hear about Ichabod? She named him what? There's just not hope. There's not hope in that community. There's not hope in that family. There's not hope in the nation of Israel. The forefathers let us down, daddies who aren't present, grandparents who don't place value on the word, parents who only call upon God when the situation looks bleak and says, go fetch the ark. The outlook is not very bright for them, but it's certainly not bright for the next generation. And we can sometimes relate to this when we look around our world and we think about mistakes that were, were made, maybe by us or by our families, or the history of bad decisions. But nestled later in the Old Testament, I'm bringing this to a close, we read this story about a man named Jonathan, King Saul's son, David's best friend. In 1 Samuel 14, 1 says, it came to pass upon that day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to a young man that bare his armor, come on, let's go to the Philistine garrison, and that's on the other side, but he didn't tell his father. And Saul tarried at the outermost part of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, and, and so D Jonathan says, grabs his armor bearer, and this is, we focus on this story, but we preach it a different way, because him and his armor bearer, they go and they have a great victory, and they take them all down, and even though they're outnumbered two to whatever thousand, you know, hundred people, and, and they go fight it up, but what we miss nestled in this story is in verse 3. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. This was a story all about Jonathan. But nestled in this story about Jonathan, it says Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, was there. Ichabod had a brother. Very clearly of that family line. Ichabod's got a brother named Ahitab. And guess what that brother's name means? It means my brother is good. Out of a family situation where it appeared that the only thing coming out of the family was this. Oh yeah. Hey, have you met the glories departed? Hey, hey all right, uh, picking basketball teams. All right, I got Lane. You got Tim. Okay. I got Jason. And I'll take uh, the glories departed. A constant reminder about the failure of the nation, the failure of his granddaddy, the failure of his parents, his name, everything he was, was just failure. Glories departed. But we read here that God still called the family to be a priest in Shiloh. Mom and dad's choices messed things up. Grandpa didn't do his job. God's glory departed. No one saw any value in the life of Ichabod. He was just the result of a bad situation. But his brother's name becomes prophetic. Yeah, Ichabod, oh, glory's departed. Actually, my name's Ahitab. My brother's good. Just his brother's name brought hope to a nation.
And in 2021, we too have a name that brings hope to a nation. And that name is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God, has become, he is our salvation. And it's also interesting, his brother's name didn't just speak about hope, but his brother's son and possibly his brother himself also were the high priest in Shiloh. His brother's name brought, it gave Ichabod hope. But today we also have that name that is Jesus. The glory might have departed. Your grandpa might not have lived it. Your dad may have been as sinful as they come. Your mom might have not have seen anything in you of value. But you know what? Just like his brother says, my brother's good. There's a name that brings hope. It does not matter what your life, your situation, your lineage, how many years of drugs and alcohol in prison and all the things. It doesn't matter if you've been in those things yourself. It doesn't matter if you're in those things. Today, when Jesus steps on the scene, salvation can bring hope. Jesus is the one that says, hey, it's not just the glories departed. Matter of fact, I don't just forgive. I still, I still see a priestly lineage. I still see a calling of ministry. When other people say, all I see is the glory departed. No, 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 no. I look at your life and I still see a family who is called to ministry. I still see a family who I can use to make a difference in a nation. You can stand to your feet. You see, but then there was a name called out, that name that took away sin. But just like that high priest, we too have a high priest that gives us hope. Hebrews 4.14, the writer of Hebrews says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are. Just stop there. It does not say if you're touched with them. You're going to be touched with infirmities. You're going to go through things. You're going to mess up, make mistakes, fall flat on your face. You're going to do things that people are going to say, do you see so-and-so? Do you see? I expected more. The glory is departed. There's not much value there. No, but the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 we have a high priest. A high priest who believes in us. A high priest whose name gives me hope. A high priest who can change the future of my story, even though I have a couple bad chapters written in there. And because of that, because we have a high priest, because he gave himself, because he robed himself in flesh, because he shed his blood, therefore, because of that, verse 16 says, because of that, therefore, let us come boldly. I don't know about you, but when I mess up, I don't always go, yeah, Lord, I'm here again. No, it's not based on my merit. It's not based on my actions. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And so you're here today, every person, and watching online. 
It doesn't matter. I'm not a part of this church. I'm not a member here. It does not matter. God is reaching to you. You might be watching online in a different country right now. God is reaching to you. And deception says, I'm fine. I'm fine. These people ain't going to change me. I got this. I'm fine. I don't. I'm fine. And you continue on your same path. And for many of you, no doubt, that's a lot of incredible, miraculous stories about what God's done, brought you through, delivered you from, set you free. You could stand up here and testify. But are you still pursuing the glory of God like you were when He washed away your sins and filled you with the Spirit? And if you're not, the beauty here is when everyone says the glory's departed, there ain't no hope, ain't nothing. You can say, no, no, now is the moment that I need to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy this morning. Because I serve a God who is my high priest who took on flesh, paid the price on Calvary because he looks at me and he says, I don't just want to forgive you. But I see a priestly lineage. That's why he says, you are my chosen people, a royal priesthood. When we don't deserve to be in the priestly Levitical line like Ichabod and Hophni and Phinehas and, and all of them, Ahitab, Ahia, my brother's good. And today, we're still high priests. God looks at you today. And he still sees something. It does not matter if no one else has seen it before. God sees something in you. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow in your daily life is what you will reap. So I want to be the one that comes to this altar right now and says, God, I need to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to be the man that you are calling me to be. I invite you right now to, re to respond to God's invitation and to find a place to pray.